Well, I'm not I'm not uh, having to uh, fight the congestion anymore, but I am still having to battle a little bit of a cough from time to time. And so we'll uh, we'll still preach with a with a cough drop in the mouth. So hopefully it won't be a, a hindrance this morning. I want us to turn to the book of Philippians, chapter number two. The book of Philippians, chapter number two, and this is a what you would say a natural progression from the previous series that we just finished. We've looked over the last four weeks at how some very important lines are being blurred by those who are evil. And we saw how the lines of God's authority, the lines of good and evil, the lines of gender and sex, and the lines of reality have been blurred and and really continue being blurred. And uh, Verse 15 of chapter number 2 uh, of, our, of the text here, and, and we're, we're not going to use uh, all of our text this morning. We're just going to use a, a couple of verses. But uh, in 15, verse 15 is where I take um, uh, our series from. Paul called the nation where the Philippian church was located, he called it both crooked and perverse. Look at verse 15. He said, She may be blameless, and harmless the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Now, the word crooked means warped. It means uh, not straight. And the word perverse talks about it being morally corrupt. And those two terms there are a pretty good characterization of what we see in our own nation today. The standards of decency that many of us grew up with, and I, I know you know, many of you uh, um, are at the age or older than I am. Uh, that we, uh, what we, the world we grew up in had some standards of decency that people ab- abode by, by and large. But those things are being erased. They've been lowered, and to such an extent that there are almost no standards of decency left in our nation, except among those of us who are the most ardent followers of Christ. This depravity and sin of our day are much like the days of Noah. We saw that in that past series. Remember when God eventually had enough and he destroyed the world by a flood? Well, he's not going to destroy the world by a flood again, but uh, he is going to judge sin. And so this crookedness and perversity that are all around us today, and there's a really a constant pressure from the world uh, upon us who are the children of God to conform to those sinful ways of the world. Now we know that Paul pretty much uh, uh, he addresses this in more than one of his books, though we uh, we finished not too long ago the book of Romans. And we saw when we were in the book of Romans, it's on Sunday evenings, how believers are supposed to live in the midst of a sinful nation and sinful world. And we were, when we were there in the book of Romans, Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul put it this way. He says, I, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. 
And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, in this epistle uh, to the believers at Philippi, Paul gives some further insight into what the Lord expects of us. And, and really, uh, verse 5 of chapter 2, Philippians 2, verse 5, is the basis for this message and the one next week. And he says, so let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so every believer should both desire to be and strive to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. After all, Romans 8 verse 29 tells us that we who are saved are predestined to ultimately be conformed to the very image of Christ. And if you're, if you're going to be conformed, don't you want to look more like Christ each and every day? I hope that you do. One of these days is going to be finished. Uh, uh, it, we will be completely like Christ. What a, what a blessing that will be when we're called home to be with Him. But there are other places in Paul's letters, in, in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 3, he tells us that we, are, we who are risen with Christ are to seek those things which are above and that we're to set our affection on the things above, not on the things on the earth. And he says there that our life is hid with Christ in God and goes on to tell us that Christ is our life. And then in Galatians chapter number 2, uh, Paul talked about himself personally. He explained his approach to his new life in Christ in Galatians 2.20. He says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So uh, he, 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 he really in, uh, touches on this in several of his letters. Even the Apostle John wrote this in 1 John 3, verse 2 and 3. He says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, and every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure." So this morning we're going to look here in this book uh, that Paul wrote to the Philippian church. And here he exhorts believers to see Christ as the example for living in a sinful world. We live in a sinful world. Uh, they, lines are being blurred. What do we do? Well, we don't conform. <laughs> Amen. We, we're to live, still live for Christ. And so I've entitled this series... Living in a sinful world, and I want to have. I want want us to deal with just two verses today as we begin to look at this subject. We're going to deal with the first two verses uh, in uh, Philippians chapter two, but I want to begin by reading some verses in chapter one. And the reason for that is that word "therefore" in verse one. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, and we're going to back up and see what he has to say about this. Look at verse 27, chapter 1, verse 27. It says, Only let your conversation, talking about our manner of living or our behavior, <coughs> only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. Notice this. 
that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. He's talking about a unity there. Amen? Talking about a unity. And it says, And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but uh, to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you... <coughs> sorry. <clears throat> unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Look at verse 1 and 2. <clears throat> and this is what we'll be dealing with today. <clears throat> he says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, <clears throat> if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be, be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, and of one mind. So you see how he's used that in verse 2 there, and that refers back down to verse number 27. But let's begin this morning with verse number 1 here. He, he asks a question here, if there be any consolation in Christ. Now, the word, trans, the word translated consolation here is related to the word that the Lord Jesus Christ used when he described the Holy Spirit as being our comforter. In John 14, verse number 16, where he says, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. So I see the word translated consolation means to come alongside, to comfort or alleviate misery or distress of mind. And that's what the, the Lord Jesus Christ does. We find a great consolation in Christ. He does come alongside, and He does help us uh, in the, th the trials that we face in this life. There's consolation in what Christ has done for us. I mean, when we think about our salvation, how that Christ came and... Uh, we all are deserving of death. We know that. Uh, death and hell. Uh, but Hebrews 2 verse number 9 says, But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. And he tasted death for us. And that's consolation, amen? You don't have to die for your sins. You don't have to die in your sins. You can have salvation because Jesus tasted your death. Hebrews 2 verse 14 and 15 says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So he, uh, the Lord has destroyed our, our main enemy. Now he's still, he, he's still around right now, but uh, he, his end is already settled. Amen? Um, he's not going to be around that long. And what Christ did there on the cross destroyed whatever power that uh, Satan had over us when we come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Romans 5, verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore being justified by faith, 
We have peace with God. Peace is consolation, isn't it? That's a consolation. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So uh, there is consolation in what Christ has done for us there on the cross of Calvary. Second thing I want you to, us to see here is there's con consolation in what Christ continues to do for us. After we're saved, we have a helper with the Lord, don't we? Uh, look at 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. And I want us to look at uh, verses 3 through 7 here. And it talks about this consolation that we have. Second <clears throat> Corinthians chapter number 1, verse number 3 says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Verse 5, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation, there it is, our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings, which we, we also suffer. And, or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing, notice this, that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, talking about the sufferings of Christ, so shall ye be also of the consolation. So there's great consolation to be found in our Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for us and what he continues to do for us. Second thing we see back in our text, <clears throat> and he says here, if, if any comfort of love, and he's talking about any comfort of love in Christ. You read the, if there be any, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, and that would be in Christ as well. Think of the love that Christ had and has for us. I want you to think about that for just a minute. Exactly what kind of love is that? We know that our English word, love, has been degraded and been perverted by this world. Uh, but the love of Christ is far different than the world's idea of love. In fact, the love of Christ is a love that is beyond any and every other kind of love. Romans 5, verses 6 through 8. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's the extent of his love, isn't it? He died for us when we were ungodly. It says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man someone even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So is there any comfort in that great love that Christ had for us? Yes, of course there is. The love of Christ, listen, is a love that sought our highest good and then 
And, and, you know, he, he saw the highest good then, there, when he was at the cross and before, and he continues to seek our highest good now. So there's great comfort in Christ's love. Here's the third thing he mentions. If any fellowship of the Spirit. Now understand that that word fellowship means a partnering or a partnership. Partnering or partnership. Is there any fellowship or partnering of the Holy Spirit in the lives of those of us who know Christ as our Savior? Of course there is. We know that the moment that we came to trust Christ, the Holy Spirit came into our life and took up residence in our life. He came up to do that, uh, came into our life to be our partner and helper in the things of God. How does He help us? Well, one way He helps, a great way. Ever been where you didn't know how to pray? Ever been in a situation where you know, I, I don't even know what to ask. I don't even know uh, how I should pray in this situation. Well, the Holy Spirit partners with us in our prayer life. Romans 8.26 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, uh, but the Spirit itself make an intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. What a blessing that even when we don't know how to pray and we're trying to pray and we, uh, Lord, uh, you know, just don't know what to ask in this instance, may your Holy Spirit help me. Uh, he, he, he offers prayers on our behalf. The Holy Spirit also partners with us in our learning John 14, 26, Jesus was speaking of the Holy Ghost, and he said, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. In John 16, verse 13, Jesus said, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but Whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Now, what a blessing it is to have the help of the Holy Spirit when we get into the Word of God to help us uh, come to understand the things that God has for us. In fact, Paul mentions that in 1 Corinthians 2.12. He says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. There's some things God wants us to know. And uh, you know, trying to read the, the Bible apart from uh, having the Holy Spirit in our life, we would not accomplish very much. But with His Holy Spirit, we can come to know the things that are freely given to us of God. A third way the Holy Spirit partners with us is in our witnessing. He is the power that gives us the ability to witness. Acts 1.8, But ye shall receive power, after that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And then the, the Holy Spirit partners with us in our maturity. He is the one that helps bring us to maturity as we get into the Word of God and we, we see the things that uh, the Lord wants in our life and we bring those things into our life and we, we become more like Christ. Listen, listen to 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass. Think about looking in a mirror. 
as in a glass, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So little by little, the Spirit transforms us into that which is ultimately going to be our destiny, and that is to be just like Christ. We become like Christ little by little as uh, we are in the Word of God and we yield ourselves to the Spirit of God that lives within. So, is there any fellowship or partnering of the Spirit in the lives of us who are saved? Well, yes, there most certainly is. And then a fourth thing he mentions there in verse 1. And this is a, a, uh, this, this is a strange sounding one. If any bowels and, and mercies. If any bowels and mercies. <clears throat> in other words, uh, pity or sympathy is what he's talking about. Tenderness and compassion. That's the way they expressed it. Uh, and what Paul is referring to here is that if the Philippians had any bowels and mercies uh, toward him as a man of God, they would be mindful of what he was telling them. Now, I'm not saying this because I'm a man of God, but because the Word of God bears it out. There should be great love and compassion for the man of God, by the people of God, for what the man of God goes through uh, for them. Now, uh, understand that's not to be to the point that the man of God is worshipped. I don't believe in pastor worship. God's the one that deserves our worship. The Lord Jesus Christ deserves our worship. But the man of God is to be respected and followed as he follows Christ. It's obvious from reading the book of Philippians that these folks uh, and this church had great love and compassion for the Apostle Paul and for what he was going through as a man of God uh, for them and for others. Let's look at a few things here. Look at uh, Philippians chapter number 4. And look at verse number 10. He, he says here, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. They were taking care of Paul. He says, When ye were also careful, but uh, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Skip down there to verse number 14. He says, Notwithstanding ye have well done, that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity. In other words, they, they knew Paul had needs, and they were helping with those needs. He says in verse 17, not, that I, not because I desire a gift, but, but because I d- desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the, the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. And then he says, you know, they were, they were taking care of his needs. He said, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So we see uh, their care for uh, Paul as a man of God. 
and is mindful of uh, the words we hear from the writer of, of Hebrews as he was wrapping up the book of Hebrews in Hebrews 13, verse number 7. He told those that he was writing to, he says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. And then 10 verses later in Hebrews 13, verse 17, he says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. So are there any bowels and mercies for the man of God? Is there any pity and compassion for the burden he bears for you? Well, there ought to be. Amen. And I thank God for those of you that show your concern and compassion for me. Well, we're talking about Paul here. as He's the one writing this. And he was, he's, he's um, mentions there in verse number 2. He says, if those things in verse number 1 are true, he says, fulfill ye my joy. See, the only way the believers in Philippi could fulfill Paul's joy was for him to see four things in their lives that are in verse 2 that should spring forth from the reality of the four things that we just saw in verse 1. Remember, we saw four things uh, in verse 1. And now he said, there's four things that ought to spring out of that. And if the four things in verse 1 were true, and they were, and Paul is saying that there were four specific things they should do in response. And if they did, they would make Paul's joy complete. And he said, fulfill ye my joy. And here's the four things. Number one is that you be like-minded. That you be like-minded. That word like-minded means of equal soul. Uh, in other words, uh, to think or set one's mind together on the same thing. Uh, what is that like-mindedness supposed to be? Well, it's verse 5. The mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. How many minds does a normal body have? One, right? We all got one mind. Um, and uh, Christ is the head of the body, the church, according to Colossians 1.18. So we each have His mind available to us, and we are to be directed by His mind. And I want you to listen. If we, if we all have the mind of Christ and we all walk according to His mind in all things, then what does that mean? That means there should always be perfect unity in the church. That brings perfect unity. If something's out of unity, somebody's not right with Christ, right? And I thank God for the unity we enjoy. Um, uh, but there, should, would, there would never be any discord, any schism, any contention or strife in the church if everyone had the same mind, if they had the mind of Christ, there will always be joyous harmony as we strive together in this same great work. So that you be like-minded, that's one thing that he's, 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 he's looking for them to do. Number two, having the same love. Having the same love. What love is that supposed to be? 
the love of Christ. We're to have the mind of Christ and we're to love with the love of Christ, right? That's what Jesus said just before he went to the cross. Remember before he just right prior to you, he was arrested. In John 13, he was teaching his disciples some things before he left this earth. And he said, a new commandment I give unto you in John 13, 34. He says, a new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another. He says, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Look at 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John 4. And I want us to take a look at um, several verses here. Verses 7 through 12. 1 John 4 verse 7. says, Beloved, let us love one another. Notice, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and, and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. God, God showed His love. He manifested His love to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. Look at verse 10. Here in His love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us. So which came first, our love for God or God's love for us? It was God's love for us. Amen. Here in His love, not that we loved God, but He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. So we're to have the same mind, be like-minded. We're to have the same love, a love of Christ. And then we're, he says the third thing there in our text, being of one accord. Being of one accord. <coughs> in other words, of one soul. Having your souls joined together. Now, the particular word that is translated there um, in our text does not occur anywhere else in the New Testament. It means a union of soul or an acting together as if but one soul actuated them. You know, two people are acting, but it's like they're, they're so unified that they're acting together okay, is, is the picture. Again, how many souls do we have? One. Just one in our body. Just as schizophrenia is foreign and harmful to our body, so also is schism or disunity within Christ's body. And so in the midst of all of this, uh, Paul is saying, hey, you know, what you need to do is you need to be of one accord. And then there, last of all, he says, of one mind. The expression of one mind, it means thinking the same thing. Now, all of these terms that the Apostle Paul uses here in our text, um, using a great variety of expressions to really denote the same thing. Okay? You, you kind of notice that they're, they're really related. The goal, which is a union of heart, union of feeling, union of plan, and union of purpose. He wished for them to avoid all divisions and strife. 
And think about this for just a minute. <clears throat> over and over again, we see the importance of harmony among believers as stressed in the New Testament Scriptures. It's stressed over and over. Why is that important? Now, uh, with the world coming against us, we don't need to be coming against one another. Okay? Makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, we, we've got enough on our plate trying to handle the, the world uh, coming against us. We need to uh, unite together in our uh, mind and heart. And can you see how that Christ is our example for living in a sinful world? I mean, if we're going to, if we're going to successfully uh, live Christ's life, then we must uh, have His mind. And so the question for each believer is this. Whose mind do you have? Sadly, some may be walking in the vanity of their own mind. We, talk, we call that the flesh. Amen. When you walk in your own mind, you're walking according to the fleshly mind. Or even the mind of this world. What Christ Jesus wants is for us to have His mind. And it begins with salvation from Him. Number one, are you saved this morning? Do you know Christ is your Savior? If you do, you have the, the, these, the possibility of doing what Paul mentioned here. It begins with salvation from Him and it requires surrender to Him. Amen? So let's, as we, um, as we have to live our lives while we're here uh, in the midst of such a uh, uh, such a generation that is mentioned uh, as being crooked and perverse, let's make sure that uh, we are in agreement with one another. Amen? Let's pray. Father.